Right. So we're in part two of our series, uh, The End Commandments. And, uh, and so last week, we jumped into this. And if you missed last week, you got to go back uh, and, and watch it on YouTube. Normally, I would say, you know, do if you want to. This one's kind of like, ah, oh, man, you really need to do that because it really sets the foundation for the rest of our series. And um, if you're new, we, we, we do series, and it's like just one really long message, typically. And because I want to have mercy on you so you don't have to sit there for two hours and be like, oh, man, in the theater, you'd never make it. You'd be asleep because typically 10 minutes, and uh, there's four guys like, I mean, they're, the seats are way more comfortable than here. Um, and, but but uh, uh, we break it up in, into you know, bite-sized uh, segments, but it really is the catalyst for the rest of the series. And so I uh, would encourage you to go and watch that. If you missed it, um, basically kind of what we were talking about is you got to understand what the foundation of our, our faith is. Because th- th- that's how we're going to operate in everything, every other aspect of life. And, uh, and, and, you know, so the church is not the foundation of our faith. Um, please don't make me the foundation of your faith. If I go south, your faith should be fine. Um, and uh, don't, don't ever, you know, make an individual the foundation of your faith. Don't make another Christian the foundation of your faith. Don't make a pastor, a bishop, a priest, you know, don't, don't make a church leader the foundation of your faith. Um, and in fact, the Bible isn't even the foundation of our faith. Now, before you get up and walk out, we love the Bible. In fact, we teach from it every single week. We believe that it's authoritative. In other words, we come underneath it. We believe that it was inerrant in its original writing. Um, we believe that it's alive and active. We believe that it cuts between bone and marrow. In other words, it, it, it cuts between our thoughts and our actions. Um, we, we are all about the Bible, not the foundation of our faith, though. Um, the foundation of our faith is an event in history that happened. And so even if they come and they take our Bibles and they burn them, you know what? The foundation of our faith is still secure. Um, they didn't take the foundation away. The foundation is still secure because it was an event in history that happened that can't unhappen. That's, that's what's so brilliant about the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what we base our faith on. And, uh, and, and so since that is true, you know, so much of what we, how we view life and the way that we, we, we do things in life comes off of that foundation. And it's so interesting because Jesus, um, before his death, burial, and resurrection, he kept trying to teach his guys, you know, these, these different things. And he would say, hey, I don't want you to do this. He would, and, and we call them the end commandments. The N is not, you know, not do this, not do this. But they didn't make really much sense, and, and they seemed a little bit kind of actually ridiculous, um, because it just, it seems so far-fetched, like, you can't actually do that, and I mean, there was the, the, the big commandment, love as I have loved you, but then there was all of these subsidiary commandments that honestly, they just thought were a, a, a little bit ridiculous, and how do you even do it, and, and yet it's so interesting, the early church so after, you know, the resurrection of Jesus, um, for 25 years, Paul didn't write anything. 
And, 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 and not even the Gospels would have shown up during that 25 years, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, it wasn't until 30 years up to 50 years uh, that, that anything was even written and sent out. And so those early Christians, the Bible wasn't the foundation of their faith because there wasn't one. See, and, and, and yet they were so unbelievably bold. They had, they had the gospel, which was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They were, it was kind of a resurrection religion. They, they, they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, and, uh, and so they rallied around that, and they knew some of the commands that Jesus had, had given, and they had been told those things, so they were living that, but they didn't have much to go on. And yet they were so bold and, and, and so fearless. It was just amazing. So, um, but it wasn't really until after the resurrection that some of the things that Jesus had said made way more sense than they did beforehand. So today I want to look at the first not. Um, and so thou shalt not, what do you think? Thou shalt not fear. Thou shalt not fear. Yeah, just stop being afraid. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're being afraid too much. Stop it. Okay, I'll stop doing that. I mean, how do you just stop being afraid? How, how, do, you, how do you just not? And yet Jesus would say over and over and over again, fear not, fear not, fear not. How do you just not fear? How do you just fear not? I mean, Jesus, that doesn't even make any sense. That, did, that, that seems ridiculous. That seems impossible. How, how can you just not fear? And yet, Jesus, he, he would come along and say, look, <laughs> you, you got to understand, you know, what the world wants to do and its definition of fear and what my definition of fear is. And, uh, and, and, and so he comes along and he's like, look, let me teach you something about fear. And so Matthew writes it down in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. So I'm going to make a distinction of, of the things that, that, you know, are the source of fear for us. And I want to create a brand new category for you. I, I, want, to, I want to create a brand new category for you that maybe you've never looked through this lens of fear before. So don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. So I want to create a brand new category for you. There's people that, that might you know, want to kill your body. There might be health things that are trying to kill your body. You might have leukemia. You might have cancer. You, you might have all of these health things that are trying heart issues, you know, kidney issues, lung issues, COPD you know, D issues, all of these issues. There, you know what? They could kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Don't be afraid of anything that can kill your body, but it, but it can't touch your soul. I'm going I'm to create a brand new category for you. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So I want to create a brand new category for you. I want your fear of me to surpass any other fear that you might have in this life. And, and this fear of me isn't, isn't a cowering, I'm afraid. It's, it's not a cowering, I'm going to get beaten. It's not a cowering, that kind of fear. It's, it's this deep, 
awe, this deep respect, this, this deep reverence for you. I want that to surpass. I'm going to create a brand new category for you, one where, you know what, you, you awe, you respect, you reverence me over anything else in this life. And when you do, when you do, the only thing, you know what, that, that, that's maximum fear for us in this life is, is something that kills the body. It's, it's fear of death. And, and Jesus is just like, look, I, I'm going to create a different category for you that, you know what, that fear can actually go away. The greatest fear that we have in this life, the fear of death, can go to the sideline. So don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And, and the, the disciples were trying. They were, they were trying to connect the dots, even though they were struggling. They were struggling to connect the dots. But, and, and they would back up, and, and, and Jesus would do these messages and try to teach them and around the campfire just saying, fear not, fear not. And then he would take the disciples on a field trip and, uh, and see how they were doing, see if they were listening, and they would fail every, every time. So if you feel like I fail more than I succeed, you know, take heart because the disciples were definitely in that boat. And, and they were just like, but Jesus, we, we don't understand. Because you're saying, don't be afraid, but then you're saying fear. So which one is it? Is it we should be afraid or we shouldn't be? And Jesus like, let me, let me explain what God is like. Let me explain what your heavenly father is like. If you feel like, you know, the fear is just this, this you know, he's going to beat me down, that type of fear, let me explain to you what your heavenly father is like. He says, what is the price of two sparrows? To which they're probably like, what does that have to do with being afraid? Just hang in there. He's like, I, I, I'm going I'm to give you an illustration. What is the price of two sparrows? Well, one copper coin, Jesus. It's like worthless. I mean, it's, it, it, it's nothing. They're worth nothing. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. So every single sparrow you shot with your slingshot, God knows about it. Hits the ground, you're like, yes. God was like, I knew that. Every bird, you go hunting, you shoot that duck, and it comes down, God knows. You shoot the goose, God knows. And he, he, God knows all of it. He, he, he is that detailed in knowing what is going on. It's not like he, he's you know, oblivious to what is going on. And get this, if he knows that every single sparrow that falls and every single barn swallow, oh, oh, all you ranchers, you feel me, you feel my pain, right? What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But God knows when one even goes down, check this out, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. Did you know that God knows how many hairs are on your head? Or in my case, after 50 years and gravity or going down the back of my neck, he knows. It's kind of gross, isn't it? It's a little bit. God knows. 
7.7 billion people on the planet. And he knows the amount of hairs on every single person's head and the ones who don't have any. He knows. To to that degree, he is so intimately involved in caring and knowing. He knows us that well. No one else on the planet knows us that well. The very hairs on your head are all numbered. And if he cares about you to that degree, don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And so the disciples, they're just struggling and they're trying to place it together and, and they're thinking about this, this uh, uh, field trip that they were on before and Matthew records it in chapter 8 and it's so funny because they, they uh, had done, done some ministry and then they all hop in the boat together and they're going to, you know, the only way Jesus could get away from the crowd, I don't know if you ever thought about this, I mean, Jesus was surrounded by a crowd everywhere he went. And so the only way he could get away, because they didn't have tricked out Escalades back then and where, you know, he could just get on with his bodyguards and, and drive away. You ever thought about that? No? Tricked out chariots? Didn't have those either. He had to get on a boat. Had to get on a boat to get away from everybody. So he, he gets on a boat, but he's going to teach his disciples a lesson on fear. And so Matthew records it in chapter 8. Verse 23 and 24, it says, Then Jesus got in the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake, with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now, this is the only way I know how to describe this. Um, if you grew up in church and you grew up with the Bible, um, you're probably guilty of reading with Bible eyes. It's the only thing I know how to describe it, because we read this stuff and we're like, oh, okay. I mean, we have no emotion around it, but if you would actually stop and actually observe this for a while, you're like, okay, here's guys who are, who are unbelievably seasoned veterans at sailing, veterans of boating, veterans of all things water, veterans of going across the, the Sea of Galilee, and it's about 13 miles wide. I mean, it's a long way. It's not just a big lake. It's like a sea. It's, it's huge, okay? Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. Can you all can, try to put yourself in the middle of this, of this lake? You can't even see the shore. You're in the middle of the lake. The waves are so big. They're cresting so big. They're crashing into the boat. Like, it's Panicville. It's, it, you can't bail the water fast enough to get it out. Everybody's in an uproar. It's go time. It's like we're facing death in the face. And Jesus is sleeping. Now, you can, you can go with whatever you know, interpretation you want um, and don't necessarily take mine, but I don't think he was sleeping. I think he was acting like he was asleep. And... Kind of like I used to do, and I had to confess this, kind of like I used to do when our kids were really young, and they were up in the middle of the night, and I was asleep. 
until Jen got up to deal with the kids, right? And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think that was what was going on here is Jesus wanted to teach them that they didn't need to be afraid. And so he's acting like he's asleep. And, uh, and they're, they're panicking. They're shouting at one another. They're bailing water. It, 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 well, they're facing death in, in the face. And so the disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Okay, so here's some seasoned guys. Now, I, I'm not a boat guy. I'm not a water guy. Um, you know, Jim, Jim's, uh, Jim's a water guy. You know, he grew up on the lake. He loves the lake. He loves all things water. I, I'm not really that guy. Um, so if I was on that boat, I would think, okay, as long as I'm with these guys, um, we're good. Now, if I was on the boat and these guys say this, we're going to drown, that would mean we're going to drown. That's not good. I, I would be like, okay, that's not good. If these guys say we're going to drown, we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? Now, once again, those of you that know the Bible, we read this with Bible eyes. Because we're thinking, oh, yeah, they're hanging out in the boat, and Jesus is like, hey, why are you afraid? And they're just like... Uh, so put yourself in the situation here. There's Panicville, and, 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 and it's, I mean, it's every, all hands on deck to try to survive, and they're shouting at Jesus like, hey, you got to do something, and Jesus asks the question, why are you afraid? Okay, I would be like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to pretend like you didn't just ask that. Seriously? Seriously? You want to know why we're afraid? Like, take a look around for just a second. Like, the, the waves are crashing into the boat. We're going down, and you're asking us why we're afraid. Why would you ask that? I, if that was me on the boat, at this point, I would probably have a little bit of sarcasm. See, we read it with Bible eyes. I, I, I guarantee you, there, there is chaos and, and pandemonium going on. And Jesus asked, why are you afraid? What? You have so little faith. And when I was studying this this last week, I, I couldn't help but go here, so I'm just going to have to share it with you because I grew up in the 80s. So, you know, the song, What's Love Got to Do With It? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, Jesus is like, what's faith got to do, got to do with it? I mean, what's faith going to do? How are we going to faith our way out of this? I mean, bail water. What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, what are you afraid of and you of little faith? What? And Jesus is, is trying to help these guys understand they don't need to be afraid. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. So all of a sudden, these huge swells that are breaking into the boat, and Jesus gets up and rebukes nature, and it's calm. Like break out the water skis, it's glass. The disciples were amazed. I'll bet they were. Who is this man, 
Check out the question. Isn't that amazing? They're amazed, and then they're like, who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. Now, Mark records this, and, and Mark hung out with Peter, and, and we believe that Peter was uneducated and uh, was illiterate. And so Mark would, he would dictate, and Mark would write it down. And so Mark, when he writes this down, um, he uses the verb form of fear and the noun form of fear together. And so when you read it in the English, it, it, it says, and they feared a great fear. In other words, their fear of the one that was in the boat with them surpassed the fear of the circumstances they found themselves in. Who is this guy? The, the winds and the waves just obeyed him. What in the world is that? And their fear of the one that they shared the boat with surpassed everything else. And Jesus was like, bingo. Even though there's something to be afraid of, there's no need to be afraid. This circumstance that you're in, guys, seemed like it was worthy of being afraid. It was something to be afraid of, but your fear of me, your awe of me, your respect of me, your reverence of me surpassed this smaller thing that made you afraid. See, it's so interesting. The, the disciples struggled with it, and, and, and Jesus went, you know, was trying to continue to teach them, and they, they, they were just were struggling. And one time... The disciples were involved with a miracle that Jesus did with feeding 5,000. You probably have read this. and If you're online, you've probably read this. Um, and, and the disciples were feeling really good about themselves. They're thinking, oh, yeah, we kind of got it going on. Like, I mean, we're, that's pretty good. We were part of a miracle. I mean, and all, all the people thought they were pretty, pretty cool. And, and, uh, and I think Jesus was like, okay, but, well, before you get a big head, let me, uh, let me take you on another field trip. Okay, and so he, he gets these guys and he insists that they get in the boat. It's so interesting. Immediately after this, immediately after they fed the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat. Do you know why Jesus had to insist that his guys get back in the boat? Because they had already been in the boat with him and they're like, we don't want to get in the boat with you anymore. Like, we've been in the boat with you, and it didn't go well. That was unbelievable. We don't, we don't, we don't want any more lessons, right? And so Jesus is like, hey, I want all of you, you get in the boat, and he's holding the bow of the boat, and Peter's kind of like, Jesus, why don't you get in the boat? And Jesus is like, no, you get in the boat. And so everyone gets in the boat, and Jesus starts walking the boat out, gets it up to about chest high, and whew, I want you guys to go to the other side of the lake. How are you going to get... Uh, we don't even want to know how you're going to get to the other side of the lake, right? So he tells them, you guys go to the other side of the lake. I'll meet you over there. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. So here we are in the middle of the night, 
So now we have darkness. So not only, you know, is it one thing to, to be able, you know, to do this in, in daylight. Now we're navigating in the dark. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble again, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and it's a headwind. It's not helping them. It's hurting them. It's a headwind, and they were fighting heavy waves. So here they are, and maybe you didn't know this. Did you know this is where we get the rowing machine from? They were just rowing and not going anywhere, and, and we're like, hey, that's, that's the first rowing there ever was. Like we're, someone came up with a rowing machine thinking of this. But they rowed all night long for hours and hours and hours. They're rowing, and they're not making much progress. And it's kind of like, Jesus told us to get to the other side of the lake. We're going to get to the other side of the lake. So here they are, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, can you imagine? They sit out like 8 o'clock at night. I mean, they're, they're, they're just, they're so tired. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost, which probably we would have too. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. See, last time we were in the daylight, which you know, was a little bit better, and I was in the boat with you, which you're like, okay, I have the security blanket that Jesus is in the boat. And now it's in the middle of the dark, and, and you're thinking, where, oh man, where is Jesus? Why didn't he get in the boat? Why did, he just shoved us out here, now we're out here by ourselves, and now we see this ghost, and we're terrified. Where is Jesus? <laughs> you guys were afraid because you didn't think I knew. You didn't think I was watching. You didn't think I was with you. And you need to know that I am with you, even when you don't think I'm there. See, <clears throat> so interesting. The lesson is knowing the one who guards my soul is with me, knowing that, it allows me to live fearless even when there is something to be afraid of. Knowing the one that guards my soul, I, I know the one, I know him, I know him personally, and he's guarding my soul, and knowing that allows me to live in this present life fearless. Are there things in this life to be afraid of? Sure. Do I need to be afraid of them? No. Because I know the one who holds and secures my soul. See, I have... I don't have to be afraid, even if there's something to be afraid of. You see, after the resurrection, the disciples became fearless. See, uh, even all the way up, you, you need to know if, you know, if you struggle with this, the disciples, they didn't get it. 
all the way up to the time when Jesus was arrested. When Jesus was arrested, you would think the, the, the disciples would be like, hey, we remembered all of the miracles and we remembered all the campfires. We remembered all the sermons. We remembered, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Fear not, fear not. We got it. We're not going to be afraid. And what do they do? Vanish. Why? Because they're scared out of their minds. And it wasn't until after the resurrection, when Jesus rose from the dead. I tell you what, when, when you see a guy arrested, and you see that he's flogged, and you see that he's crucified, and then when you have breakfast with him on the beach three days later, do you know how much fear you have after that? None. When you know the one who has conquered death, fearless, game changer. See, after the resurrection, the disciples became fearless. Why? Because the ultimate enemy of mankind, death, had been defeated. See, when you stake your eternity on the fact that Jesus died on a cross for your sin, was buried, and rose from the dead, and has resurrection life, and he offers you that resurrection life, your fear just begins to vanish. It evaporates. See, when you have no fear of anything that can only harm your body, but your trust is in the one who controls your soul, something happens on the inside of you and me, and a command that seems utterly ridiculous on the front end becomes a way of life. So interesting, there was several very intense um, seasons of persecution of the early church. And uh, in, in 160 to, to 180 AD was one of those intense persecutions of the church. And they would take Christians and make sport of them um, in, in like gladiator games. And, uh, and people would actually pay to come and watch, um, you know, these animals track down the Christians and kill them. And doctors at this point in history, they couldn't observe, they couldn't do autopsies, they couldn't observe a dead body, but they could observe a dying body. And so um, a lot of doctors would come because, you know, lots of times the, these bodies were, weren't dead yet, but, and so they would come and observe them and try to learn um, from them. And one of these guys um, was Claudius... Galenus. And this is what he said about the Christians. For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every single day. They had no fear of death. And when you have no fear of death or, or anything that co could cause death in this life, when you have no fear of that, what else is there to be afraid of? See, in the Christian world, and, and I get I, I get confused by this because I, I watch the church and, and, and I think, gosh, there should be a stark difference between the way Jesus followers, the way the church, the way Christians deal with, with fear and, and, and what goes on in the world and the way the world deals with it. There should be a very stark difference between those two because the church should be completely fearless and it would make perfect sense if you, you know, don't have any awe of, 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 of God who can destroy both, 
body and soul in hell, if you have no respect or fear of that, but you're just afraid of everything. I mean, it would just make sense to me. But here's some areas that I, I think, gosh, I just, it surprises me, and I can't quite understand why we have so much fear. So the end times, I don't get it. I mean, in, in the last several years, I, I hear from Christians so much about being scared to death about the end times. In fact, they're wanting to push me to do things that because, you know, and in fact, they want me to scare people into the kingdom because it's the end times and we've got to get everybody. And I'm thinking, do you know how long we've been in the end times? Read Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Jesus said we're in the end times when he ascended to heaven. Okay, that's like, I'm going to use my Hershey math. This is like over 2,000 years. Okay? So 2,000 years, actually a little under 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years. We've been in the end times. Now, are we close to the end of the end times? I don't know. I hope so. I have no fear of it. Why? Who's in control of the end times? The one we have our trust in. So why would we be so scared to death of it? I I don't understand it. The way our nation's going, our our nation's future. I just see see Christians scared out of their minds about the way our, our, our nation's headed. Does it sadden me? Yes. Am I disappointed? Absolutely. Am I scared of it? No. No, not at all. In fact, I think it's going to be the church's finest hour because we might suffer from people that could kill the body but can't touch the soul. Our world and where it's going. I just, I just can't quite understand why we are so eclipsed with fear when Jesus just said, guys, fear not. Fear not. So I want you to, I want to invite you to to where I'm going to say, man, allow your fear of the one who controls the body and soul. Have such great awe and trust and, and reverence for God that anything else in all of the chaos that may or may not be going on in this world, and whether we're close to the end or not, which I don't know if we are, shouldn't bring any fear to us. Trust the one. If he predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, the foundation of our faith, and he conquered death, what is it we have to be afraid of? So crossing, let's lead the way in this. What would it look like if every single one of us lived that way? Can you imagine what it would look like if every single person in this room, all of you watching online, if every single one of us lived fearless? (laughs) I mean, it'd be extraordinary. So I invite you to come along with us. Pray with me.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for inviting us into a life where we fear not, where our trust in you is so deep and, 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 and our understanding that death has been defeated is so, it's, has so much depth to it that really anything else pales in significance. And so are there things that people should be afraid of in this life? I suppose. Do we need to be afraid of them? Nope. So God, I pray that you would help us to do that. And wherever this lands on, on, on people, I pray that you would help them process through it. And God, if there's someone here today that they've never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that even right now as we're praying, they would say yes. I, I Jesus, I place my faith and trust in you. I want a relationship with my heavenly father. And so all right now, I, I, just, I just want you to know I trust you. God, I pray that you would help us as a church to lead the way. In Jesus' name, amen.